when I was a teenager in the 1980s, I know it's hard to believe, but it was the 1980s, uh, Petra was a popular Christian rock band. How many Petra fans do we have in the house? And one of their more popular songs was titled, Not of This World. And here are the lyrics to that song, a song that I still like, uh, 35 years later. We are pilgrims in a strange land. We are so far from our homeland. With each passing day, it seems so clear this world will never want us here. We're not welcome in this world of wrong. We are foreigners who don't belong. We are strangers. We are aliens. We are not of this world. We are envoys. We must tarry with this message we must carry. There's so much to do before we leave with so many more who may believe. Our mission here can never fail, and the gates of hell will not prevail. We are strangers. We are aliens. We are not of this world. Jesus told us men would hate us, but we must be of good cheer. He has overcome this world of darkness, and soon we will depart from here. We are strangers. We are aliens. We are not of this world. I think the Apostle Peter would like this song because his writing here in 1 Peter 1 inspired the song, at least I assume it inspired the song. And as we continue our series in 1 Peter today, we're looking again at chapter 1, and we find the theme of this song I love so much from Petra is drawn from the very first verse of 1 Peter. And so let's go right to the text this morning. We are looking today at 1 Peter 1, 1 through 12. I'll read and you follow along as I do. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, there it is, exiles, to God's elect, exiles. Some translations say strangers in the world. To God's elect, strangers in the world, scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, modern-day Turkey, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy, for you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. This is the section that we looked at on Easter Sunday two weeks ago. 
And now we add to that the next few verses, 10 through 12. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently and with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you when they spoke of the things that have now been told you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Even angels long to look into these things. So this is the second week uh, that we'll be looking at uh, these first 10 verses and then uh, adding the next, uh, the next three or the next two or three. And today from these verses, I want to highlight three things that we find. I want to highlight that we find in here a definition of who believers in Jesus Christ are. We find an explanation of much of what it means to be a believer. And we find in these verses the reason that believers can be confident in what they have believed. In the first verse, Peter gives an interesting definition of who believers are. Are. He writes, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect exiles, uh, I, I prefer the phrase strangers, strangers in the world scattered throughout what is now modern day Turkey. So believers are elect strangers in the world. We've seen some translations use exiles. Some translations say temporary residents. Some translations say sojourners. Some use the term those who live like refugees. Some say foreigners. But the idea is the same. Whatever word various translations have chosen, the idea is the same. According to Peter, believers are elect, and they are elect strangers, foreigners, temporary residents. What Peter wrote to the believers living throughout modern-day Turkey applies to believers in all times and all places. Believers are, I am, you are, the elect of God. And there's a very simple definition of the elect. The elect are simply those who have received God's grace, those who have experienced salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. In the Old Testament, if you're familiar with that, the elect were the Jewish people. But in the New Testament, under the New Covenant, the elect are those who come to faith in Jesus Christ and receive the salvation that is found only in Him. If you are here today and you have said yes to Jesus, you have received Him as your Savior and your Lord, you are the elect of God. Isn't that a wonderful thought? We, we are the elect of God. We're elect and we're strangers in the world. Sojourners, exiles, refugees. In other words, we are in this place, but it's not our place. A few things to consider about this. Scott McKnight makes the point that the understanding of the believer's status as strangers in the world was twofold here. 
Many of the believers to whom Peter wrote were physically displaced from their earthly homes. So they were strangers in the place that they were physically residing. But the even greater meaning that was true for them and is true for all believers in all times and in all places is that they were strangers within the world system because of their commitment to Jesus, to a life of holiness, and to their fellow believers, the church of Jesus Christ. An important point is that when we talk about believers being strangers in the world, we're not talking about believers being strangers on the earth, as if we weren't placed here by God and won't spend eternity on the renewed earth. God placed man on earth. We will spend eternity on the renewed earth. The new Jerusalem comes down. Heaven isn't up somewhere. Heaven comes down and we live forever as God intended from the beginning. And so when Peter speaks of believers as strangers in the world, he does not mean strangers on the earth, but strangers within the present world system. Strangers within the worldly systems of government. Strangers within this world system whose ultimate ruler is the evil one. Strangers in the world means that we are in the world. We live within this world system, but we are not of it. We're in it, but it is not in us. It's not in us. Being strangers in the world means we live in the midst of worldly governing powers and authorities. But even though we live in the midst of it, we are citizens of a different place. We're citizens of a kingdom that is very different than the kingdoms of this world. Being strangers in the world means that whether we live in a representative republic like the United States, or we live in a true democracy, or we live in a democratic socialist country, or we live in a communist country. Whatever system of government we live within, it does not change that for believers we have one king, Jesus, and we have one kingdom, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of Christ. Because Christ is our king and his kingdom, our government, no matter what worldly system we live within, even living within a country and under a government that we have lived in our entire lives, that's not our place. Jesus and his kingdom, that's our place. And so believers are elect strangers in the world. People have received salvation by God's faith, by God's grace through faith in Jesus. As such, Jesus is our king. His kingdom is our government. And so we are out of place, not at home, strangers within the governing systems of this world. And there's something else that we find out about believers. Yes, we're elect strangers in the world. And then verse 3 tells us that grace and peace is ours in abundance. Believers are those who have received God's grace. Believers are those who have been reconciled to God. The enmity between God and us has ended through the sacrifice of Christ. We have peace 
with God. We have received grace and peace in abundance. I believe it's a statement by Peter, but I also believe it's a prayer. A prayer that we'd walk in the reality of God's grace and that we would not only know the truth of our peace with God, but increasingly we would have peace. Not just peace with God, but but the kind of peace that Paul wrote about, the peace that passes understanding where no matter what happens in life, we have peace. So I believe it's both a statement and a prayer. So believers and elect stranger in the world who has received the grace and peace from God has received that and is walking in increasing grace and peace in their lives. That's who we are as believers who we're supposed to be as believers. Now let's turn our attention to what it means to be elect strangers in the world. I'm going to go pretty quick because it's a pretty long list. This list is so long that it violates all kinds of rules about preaching, but who cares? So, so we're going to go through this list, but quickly. Verse 2 lets us know that we have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. The thing I really want to emphasize here is the, the choosing. We've been chosen by God. Scripture talks, as about, talks of us being the adopted sons and daughters of God. Scripture talks of us having been pursued by God. He pursued us for himself. When life is tough, when we're feeling disfavored and marginalized, and in the case of believers then, actually facing real and serious and physical persecution, it is a good thing to remember that we are people who have been chosen by God. He chose us for himself. He chose us for his purposes. He chose us to complete his work in us. And he chose us to complete his mission in the world. We have been chosen for this by God himself. Another thing that this lets us know is that the church, and each of us as members of the church, the church did not come into existence by the will of man. It is not merely a human institution, but it is God-ordained. It is part of the eternal purposes of God. What we're doing today isn't my idea. It, it wasn't the church that sent us. It wasn't their idea. The church that sent them to plan, it wasn't their idea. The church is God's idea. With all of its faults, with all of its problems, with all of the ways humans mess it up, it remains God's idea. It's a human institution because humans are involved in it, but it's not merely a human institution. It is God-ordained. This is God's institution. We are chosen the church, and you as a member of the church, this is God's doing. You have been chosen by God. Verse 2 also lets us know that we've been set apart by God for obedience to Him. Chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit for obedience to Him. An elect stranger in the world is one who has been set apart from the world for God's purposes. Again, in the world, not of the world. Set apart for obedience to him. 
elect strangers in the world are to be different from the world. We're not to act the same as those who are part of the world because we're set apart. We are marked. We are different. We're supposed to be those who are obedient to God. Verse 2 also has this interesting reference to the sprinkling of blood, chosen through the sanctifying work of the Spirit for obedience to Christ and sprinkling by His blood. We're not going to take time today to look at that in detail, but there were three situations in the Old Testament when people were sprinkled with blood. When a leper had been cleansed, when Aaron and the priests of the tabernacle were set apart for their priestly service, and when the people of God responded to God's invitation to establish a covenant with him. So it seems that what Peter is doing here is using a reference that they would have understood at that time to further emphasize what he had just said. That they, that they are the elect of God who have been cleansed of sin, received the salvation that is available in Christ alone, that they have been set apart for service to God, and that they are called to obedience to God. This is a really good definition of a believer. An elect stranger of the world is someone who has been cleansed of sin, who has been set apart for God's service, and who is called to obedience to God. Verse 4 lets us know that as believers, elect strangers in the world, we are those who have come alive spiritually. We've received new birth, been born again. We talked a lot, the, uh, a lot about this on Easter. We've gone from lost to found, unsaved to saved, dead to alive. We're made new in Jesus. We are new creations in Christ. We are not the sin-bound people under the condemnation that we used to be under. But we are people who have been freed both from the debt of sin. We have also been freed from slavery to sin. And we have been set free from the tyranny of condemnation that sin brings on our lives. Past forgiven, sin's gone, no condemnation in Jesus. This is the true reality. If you're a believer in Christ, that is the true reality for you as an elect stranger in the world. It's how God sees the situation. And if you're not walking in the freedom of knowing your past is forgiven, your sins are gone, and you're no longer under, under condemnation, then my prayer today is that these truths would finally get so deep into your spirit that the lies of the enemy that you've been listening to would lose their influence over you, lose their ability to convince you that these things are not true because they are absolutely true. Verse 3, by referencing the new birth, also lets us know that as believers, we are people who are filled with the Holy Spirit. We are filled with the Spirit of God. The believers then were not facing persecution on their own. They had the Spirit to help them and to sustain them and to uphold them. And if my assessment is correct, and we're becoming more disfavored in society, becoming more marginalized, 
And even if we get to the point where we face serious persecution like brothers and sisters throughout history have, and like brothers and sisters throughout other parts of the world face today, we can know that we don't have to go through any of that on our own. We are indwelled and empowered by the Spirit, and I don't know any better way to walk in that reality than to discipline ourselves to remember and to frequently remind ourselves of this truth. Talk to ourselves. The Holy Spirit lives in me. I can do this. I can make it. I can endure this difficulty. Because the Holy Spirit is with me. The Holy Spirit is in me. The Holy Spirit is empowering me. God never asks us to walk the path that he places in front of us. He never asks us to walk that path alone. He is always with us, and not just with us, he is in us. Here's a wonderful truth of what it means to be a believer and elect stranger in the world. According to verses 3 and 4, it means that we are recipients of resurrection life, eternal life, and that eternal life is our secure inheritance. Again, we talked about this quite a bit on Easter, our inheritance is not subject to the whims of the stock market. Our inheritance is not sitting in a barn somewhere where thieves can find it and take it. Our inheritance is a secure inheritance because it is an inheritance secured once and for all by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. He defeated death. He defeated the grave. He is alive forevermore. Nothing in heaven or hell can change that fact. Which means that it is a secure inheritance for all who trust Christ for salvation. Verse 5 lets us know that we're shielded by the power of God. Our inheritance is secure and we're shielded by the power of God until the coming of the salvation that's ready to be revealed in the last time. We are shielded by the power of God until Christ returns. Verse 6 lets us know that believers, elect strangers in the world, are people who suffer but rejoice in the midst of suffering. Verses 3, 7, and 8 let us know that believers, elect strangers in the world, are people whose faith is genuine. People who have a living hope that cannot be destroyed no matter what happens. In verses 4 and 9, let us know that believers, elect strangers in the world, are people who know that their future is secure, which means that nothing in life can change the ultimate and final reality of their existence, which is eternal life with Christ, and knowing that sets us free. So we've seen in these verses who believers are. Elect strangers in the world, people who have received the salvation that was found in Christ, who serve King Jesus and are part of his kingdom, not the kingdoms of this world. Because they're part of his kingdom, they've received grace and peace, and they grow in their experience of grace and peace. We've seen what it means to be believers, elect strangers in the world. I know I just told you, but I want to tell you again, so let me summarize it this way. Our past is forgiven, we're new people with new life. We're filled with the Spirit of God and empowered by Him for everything we face in life. We are recipients of resurrection life, eternal life, secured by the resurrection of Jesus. 
Our inheritance is secure. Our future is certain. And because it is, we're people whose faith endures no matter what. And we're people who rejoice even when times are difficult. Here's another way of saying this. Believers are people who God has been really good to and blessed beyond measure. And finally, in verses 10 through 12, we find the confidence of believers, elect strangers in the world. And the main point to take from these three verses is that this life-giving message that we have believed isn't the invention of man, but it is from God himself. The prophets foretold it. The angels are intrigued by it. But the key is that those who preach the gospel did so by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. The gospel isn't the creation of man. It is from God. We can be, we should be, as people who have received new birth into a living hope, we are people who are confident in this message we believe because we know that it is from God himself. It is not a human creation. So all of this leads us to the question that I'm asking you and asking myself to consider today. The vast majority of people here today are people who would identify as believers. You would say that you are among the elect strangers in the world. So my question is, does your life match what we've discovered in 1 Peter 1 today? And here are some questions that I think can help us determine if we're walking consistent with our profession of faith or if the way that we're walking is incongruent with our profession of faith. Does your life indicate that your highest allegiance is your highest allegiance is to Christ and his kingdom? Or would an objective observer have to say that the evidence points to something else having your highest allegiance? Does your life indicate that you're in the world but not of the world? Or would an objective observer have to conclude that the things that occupy all of your thoughts, all of your actions, are things that indicate you are both in the world and you are of the world? And what would God say? He's observing our lives, so let's set aside, you know, the, the unknown objective observer, and let's just acknowledge God is looking at our lives. What would God say? And I want to be clear today that I'm not questioning anyone's salvation. Remember the elect or those who have experienced salvation by grace through faith in Jesus, not by works, not by merit. But I am asking us to consider if our walk is consistent with our proclamation, is there enough evidence in our lives to convict us of being elect strangers in the world? And let me ask some even more specific questions that can get to the heart of whether our lives reveal that we're elect strangers in the world. I'm asking myself these questions as well, so I'm going to state them in the first person. But as you hear them, you don't need to answer for me. 
you answer for you. You ask them in the first person. And be honest, because God knows the real answer. God knows the answer. So you might as well be honest with yourself. Here we go. Am I more passionate about my politics or my faith? Do I treat people I disagree with respectfully or disrespectfully? Do I get more emotional listening to the song Proud to be an American or Amazing Grace? Is my retirement account fully funded but my giving to the work of the Lord non-existent? Is my peace shattered when my preferred candidate doesn't win the election? Do I only quote Bible verses when they agree, agree with an opinion I already hold and ignore Bible verses that conflict with a deeply held opinion and a related question? What do I do when I come upon something in the Bible that conflicts with an opinion that I hold? Do I submit to God's will as revealed in the Bible or do I reject what God has revealed and explain it away? Believers elect strangers in the world are people who are in the world, but they're not of the world. They're not part of it. They're in the world, but the world isn't in them. William Barclay writes, Wherever the exiled Jews settled in the world, their eyes were always toward Jerusalem. In foreign countries, the synagogues were so built that when the worshipers entered, they were facing towards Jerusalem. However useful as citizens of their adopted country the Jews were, their greatest loyalty was always to Jerusalem. He goes on, and I'm paraphrasing. The Greek word for stranger, alien, exile is paroikos. A paroikos is someone who was in a strange land but whose thoughts were always toward home. Christians are people whose eyes are turned to God and whose loyalty is always to the eternal kingdom of God. And that's why the writer of Hebrews wrote, for we do not have an enduring city. But we are looking for that city that is to come. That new Jerusalem that's coming down. The eternal kingdom of God. I asked these questions that I did just a minute ago. Because as we move from verses 1 through 12 into the rest of the book of 1 Peter... What we're going to find is that being elect strangers in the world comes with responsibilities. It comes with responsibilities. 
God makes claims on our lives. If you have been saved, if Jesus is your Lord and Savior, God has laid claim to your life. He expects things from us. We're not free to think and act however we want to think and act. We're obligated to walk in obedience to Christ, actually living like elect strangers that have been set apart by God. And that's what we'll be considering next week. 